0: with American Egg Spotlight. I'm Chrissy Wozniak. We're living in a time right now where traditional agriculture is under attack. Less than 2% of the population grows 100% of the food. The economy, inputs, ag policy, weather, and the supply chain have all dealt their blows to the industry over the last few years. But just like any business, when times get tough, you need to pivot be creative and think outside the box. So this is why I've invited today's guest on the show to talk about how he started a company that not only created a sound business model, but it also gives producers some options that can help their succession plans or for new farmers, the possibility to eliminate their main capital expense. From Nashville, Tennessee, I'd like to welcome founding member of Land Fund Partners, who now owns over 35,000 acres across the Mississippi River Valley president and COO, Chris Morris. Thank you, Chris, uh, so much for being here and thank you for your time.
1: Thanks, Chrissy. Yeah, great to be on the podcast. Um, I've listened to several episodes and excited to speak with you today.
0: Awesome. So you've been recognized as one of Nashville's top 40 under 40 by the Nashville Business Journal. So let's start there by talking about your background and what brought you here.
1: Sure. So I am from a small town in Kentucky, Ah uh, called Maysville, Kentucky, rural community, a lot of farm agriculture uh, background, and grew up working on some farms and realized that you know it was really hard uh, first of all. And secondly, that I wanted to go get an education. So went to Center College, which is in Danville, Kentucky, um, studied finance and economics, and through that met my business partner, John Ferris, um, who had worked at the World Bank and studied food security. And really, you know, marrying interest in, in food policy, global food security, and investing, um, we had the idea to start Land Fund Partners, which uh, at its most simple overview, raises capital for investors to help them acquire farmland uh, in the Mississippi River Valley with water. And then we lease those farms out to our preferred farmers uh, in that region of the country and that was about ten years ago, seems like yesterday, but um, time flies when you're having fun and we've we've had some success.
0: yeah, that's great. And why have you focused on the Delta region specifically?
1: Yeah, so we um, really started studying water. So all of our land is above the alluvial aquifer system, um which has several hundred years of water and is replenished by the Mississippi white and Arkansas rivers. Um, we also really started to understand crop diversity and the fact that our farmers can plant you know, more than just maybe what you typically would think of as corn and soybeans as primary cash crops. Our farmers can plant cotton. Uh, Arkansas is the largest rice producing state in the country now. And there's some other uh, things like peanuts, grain sorghum and wheat obviously that can be grown in the region. So, we think that there are more more tools in the farmer's toolbox when they're looking at the futures board in, you know, January, February, March, figuring out what to plant that year. They have more ways to um, make a profit.
0: Yeah, that's great. And yeah, you're, there's a lot of diversity in that area. Uh, so what does the relationship with your farmers or tenants look like?
1: Sure. So typically we have had long-term relationships, generally we do cash lease arrangement arrangements. We've done some crop rents. Um, but we we usually reset the pricing every year because what we've seen with some long-term leases is that the farmers end up um, you know, agreeing to a price that the market may not support in year two or three or four. And for the landowner, you feel like, well, you know, is this really the right price? So we have long-term sticky relationships with our farmers. Generally, they're on the farms for. Five to seven years, um, but we renegotiate the the pricing annually because you know it has to be an economic arrangement where both parties can succeed. Uh, and if you get you know tied up in a long term lease, that can that can lead to problems on on uh, both sides depending on price. So um, you know we consult closely with the, with our farmers as to what they're going to plant. We are very responsive to um you know what they need to be successful so irrigation systems drainage something goes down who's getting it repaired um you know additional grain storage facilities and really listening to what the farmer needs to go and make a crop Uh, and then as the landlord we're trying to deliver them a you know turnkey asset that they don't have to worry about water they don't have to worry about um, something going wrong they can just focus on doing what they do best which is making a great crop
0: Wow. So, so you're saying that you're, you are handling the irrigation, you're handling the grain handling, um, the infrastructure, the logistics.
1: Correct. Yes. So yeah. we, um, it's a little yeah. more active role, I think, than, than you might think about, um, from a farmland fund. And, but we think that that's really critical to, to the success because really all the cash flows coming off that property are being you know grown by the farmer. So we want to support them, um, to accomplish their goals
0: right that makes sense and so who's your typical investor and do you have any foreign investors in your fund too
1: um so we have a wide range of investors from high net worth individuals up to endowments and foundations um 100 u.s based uh, we have no foreign capital and we, you know, we think it's important for for u.s farmland to be owned by us um investors so you know we have no plans to accept foreign capital at this time Um, we are again focused on this one region of the country the mississippi river valley region uh, arkansas mississippi louisiana tennessee kentucky missouri and you know ironically many of our investors are not from that region i think uh it's really attractive to people who maybe don't have exposure to the ag economy already in their business or in their family. Um, so other parts of the country, um, but certainly, you know, several investors here in our home States of, of uh, Tennessee and Kentucky.
0: Yeah, that's great. And what does the deal sourcing process look like?
1: Sure. So um, we see deals from, from a range of different sources. So, um operating just in this one region for the last decade we've built really strong relationships with uh, state attorneys real estate brokers bankers farmers our farmers will frequently bring us deals because they hear something's coming up and they want to expand their operation in that county um and then our our team boots on the ground team from the area uh lived there their whole life so we get a lot you know kind of through the grapevine and um you know at the at the local diner we'll, we'll hear some things and pick up deals that way. Um, and increasingly over the last three or four years, more and more of our deals have actually been direct with owner operators. So as you, you and your listeners are well aware, um, the age of the average U S farmer is approaching 60 years old. And there are many people that have all their equity tied up in the land and, uh, there aren't as many people staying on the farm. So, um, you know, it's a chance for investor for the uh investors to own a great farm, for the seller to get liquid and they can settle their estate, do what they need to do from a tax planning perspective. Um, and then we'll do a sale lease back with them so they can actually stay on the farm and continue to farm it, you know, for a, a predetermined period of time with that transaction. So we've seen more and more deals actually um happen that way.
0: Good. And you mentioned Boots on the Ground. Does Land Fund have Boots on the Ground team members?
1: Yes, we do. Um, so our our staff is based here in Nashville, but we also have an office down in um, Little Rock, Arkansas. All
0: right, great. And, and good land stewardship is obviously one of the most important roles for a producer. So can you describe some of the regenerative farming practices that your farmers are using?
1: Sure. Um, So our farmers and and, and land fund, really, we've committed to trying to use as many regenerative practices as possible. Um, You know, we really got turned on to this idea three or four years ago, um, partly due to meeting a local farmer who had been doing these regenerative practices, and he was seeing outsized yield growth. And frankly, I drove by his farm last week and the soil looks black i mean it's really impressive i think there's there's something real to it um it takes a while for those benefits to play out but we've already started doing some things like cover cropping um reduced no tillage um where we can and then reduce nitrogen applications as well so you know it doesn't fit for every single farm and if you get a you know you get a wet fall and you got a tractor in there and it gets rutted up i mean You're going to have to go till that next year right but um, on the whole trying to do things that maintain and improve soil health has been a big part of our mission and our farmers you know stewardship to your point i mean farmers care about the land more than anyone um it's a very intimate relationship and i think we want to support them doing these things so we're trying to help them make sure they're navigating the government programs um correctly there's a lot of money coming through this you know, coming through the pipes under this administration that maybe has a more of a climate focus, but certainly there's capital out there that farmers can get to support their cover cropping efforts, um, and other environmental practices.
0: Yeah, that's it. And something we talked about last time we spoke was, um, this idea of one size fits all. Like you just said, it doesn't apply to farming there. There can be cover crops in one area and not the other. Um, And how do you go about deciding what goes where you have over 35,000 acres? That's, that's a lot of land you're covering. So what's part of that decision-making process?
1: Sure. Well, I mean, really we're relying on the farmers. It's not, um, you know, it's not a mandatory thing. We're not telling a farmer, Oh, you have to go plant a cover crop here. Right. It's very much a back and forth conversation as to, Let's do these things where we can, um, where it makes sense. You can't be ideologically, you know blinded either direction. I mean, farmers have an incredibly hard job. Um, it's a really tough business with you know hundreds of variables. so um, we're more just having a long- term commitment to doing this on all of our properties. and um, we think that again the the benefits in terms of um, yield crop yield growth over time the benefits of saving on input costs we've seen that as you know if you're not planting into hard pan where it's been fallow all winter and there's been a cover crop growing it's actually saving our farmers a trip when they go to plant they don't have to spend that diesel to go till um, you know once or twice so we're we're seeing some some you know promising signs um, already but Really, it's up to up to the farmers to figure out where, where it makes sense.
0: Yeah, those are excellent points. And changing gears a little bit, something that really stands out to me here with your company is that it can provide an option to farmers who don't have kids that are interested in taking over the farm. I'm seeing so many producers selling their land into conser- conservation easements because they don't feel like there's any other option. Uh, the problem is that when once farmland gets into this designation, it's also almost impossible to get it out again, meaning that precious acres are lost forever. Um, So I I think that you have come up with a good alternative. So tell me about the sales process and what the deal looks like from the farmer's perspective.
1: Sure. So with regard to owner operators or really even, um, you know, second or third generation landowners that are currently leasing out the asset, but don't really know how to manage it, maybe don't have the farm expertise. Um, There's something called a 721 exchange, and your listeners are probably all familiar with a 1031 exchange. It's a similar type of mechanism, and I'll preface this by saying that I'm not an accountant, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not a tax person, so certainly not tax advice. But um, the 721 exchange allows a farmer or a landowner to contribute an asset into a limited partnership in exchange for units in that limited partnership. So it's a way to get liquid and it's a tax deferred transaction. So if you do this contribution, it's not taxed uh, at that time of the transaction. There may be some depending on the debt on the property and the basis. And again, very sort of technical tax issues there may be a small um, gain, but it certainly mitigates the big capital gain that you see most, most landowners that have owned the land for a long time have. I mean, many farmers that we work with have almost no basis or it's been in their families since the 60s or 70s or 80s, um, but now it's worth a tremendous amount of money and that's a big tax bill to take in one year. So the 721 allows you to, to um, spread that out and you then you can exit the property uh, exit the value of the property over multiple years. It helps if you have heirs, you can more effectively um, split up the ownership. It's really sad and and you know, again, I'm preaching to the choir here, but a lot of the transactions we see come out of family issues, family disputes, um, you know, deaths, divorces, et cetera. and it's it's unfortunate to see um, to see family members, you know, getting into fights over things like breaking up the farm and money. So it's just another way that may be a little cleaner and easier to handle um, some of those other factors that, that come with um, selling the farm.
0: Yeah, that's it. It's definitely not something a lot of families want to talk about, but it happens. It's happening. And something to consider is that whether this administration or a future administration could eliminate the stepped up basis, and then you're going to need to find different ideas like this to be able to, um, you know, not get taxed out of business. Right.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, consult your tax advisor, consult your attorneys, most, most farmers that we work with are on top of all this stuff, but, um, you know, certainly just another option for, uh, farm families to have in their toolbox and and to consider.
0: Yeah, for sure. And what advice do you have for producers across North America this growing season?
1: Wow. That's, that's a tough question. Um, keep hedging. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, uh,
0: we can't all just buy a crystal ball. You mean,
1: and <laughs> Yeah, no, <laughs> the, uh, uh, it's a hard question. I mean, and your, your listeners would know better, better than I would, but we've seen the really successful farm operators that build equity that increase their acreage. You know, you can't be a gambler, right? Um, because eventually you you crap out and um you know keep hedging, focus on your focus on your numbers, and we're always in awe of of uh the ability of our farmers to navigate um these challenging environments so you know hopefully hopefully there's still some profitability out there. I mean, with beans at fourteen dollars a few few months ago, and um you know corn's a little lower than it was, but I feel like there's certainly um hopefully some opportunities to make money this year.
0: Absolutely. Now, one last question for you. Why do you personally serve the ag industry and what's your greatest passion in all of
1: it? Well, I think, you know, most simply, um, the U.S. farmer feeds the world. We export 40% of total ag production from this country. And, um, you know, I think it's critical for, America and also the world for the US farmer to be successful. So being able to acquire and improve and deliver high quality farmland assets to our farmers. Um, you know, that's just a drop in the bucket in the whole system. But we we feel strongly that um, you know, it's really important to uh to the entire world and, and all humanity that um, you know, farmers are able to continue to innovate, make a crop. Um, and be successful.
0: Yeah, great points. That's awesome, and and thank you for what you do. It's great to to know people are pivoting and thinking ahead.
1: Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And and um, again, you know, we're doing this for a long time. We have a, a perpetual fund, so we don't plan on selling. We're not trying to flip land. We're not trying to put it in the path of development or build an apartment complex or anything like that. I mean, we're, we're truly looking at long-term fundamentals of, of uh, high quality row crop farmland with water. So um, yeah, I would love to uh, engage with you again or any of your listeners that have questions and we have a website um, landfundpartners.com where people can learn more.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Chris, for joining me today. Thanks for all of the information.
1: Absolutely. Thanks so much, Chrissy. You really enjoyed it and uh, pleasure speaking with you.
0: And thanks to all who are watching or listening. If you want to learn more, all of the links are provided in the show notes and don't forget to subscribe and share North American Egg Spotlight on YouTube, Rumble, or Telegram channels. And the podcast is available on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, Amazon, or wherever you listen to podcasts and have a great day. Our newest podcast by North American Egg is called What Color Is Your Tractor? The stories behind the egg brands you love and the egg brands you love to hate. Hosted by me, Chrissy Wozniak. We take a deep dive into the companies that have built modern agriculture. Subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. Go to whatcolorisyourtractor.com. Available on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. fastline auctions your trusted platform for hassle-free cost-effective farm equipment auctions visit fastline.com for more information you can join us for a tour of the fastline auctions platform july 13th at 6:30 p.m to register for this webinar go to northamericanag.com slash fastline webinar that's northamericanag.com slash fastline webinar to register now